But let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, uh, in this house, God, we thank you for Sue, Lord, for her work. God, we thank you for Ben, Lord, coming on board. Uh, we ask for your blessings, God, upon them, blessings upon each one of us, God, as we seek to follow after you. Lord, speak to us today through your word. To that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just to convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, last Sunday, I mentioned that fasting is, is one of our, our primary parts of our DNA. It's, 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 been, it's been part of who we are as a church. Uh, most everything we've ever started, uh, we always started after a season of fasting, after a time of consecration, after a time of devotion, of, of, uh, of really guided devotion to God. And, and like I said before, I think it served us quite well as a church over this time. I, I first uh, came into uh, fasting um, and uh, um, just through, I mean, okay, listen, I'm Korean, all right? I, I mean, I, I'm ethnically Korean. I'm pretty much an American, uh, but I'm ethnically Korean. And uh, Koreans are, are sometimes religiously uh, could be very, very uh, strong, okay? I'll use that word. And so uh, fasting for a lot of Koreans is like walking. It, it, it's just a normal part of their life. I'm talking about Christians in this way. And so uh, uh, years ago, I was introduced uh, to the ministry uh, of Dr. Bill Bright. And he was uh, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, which is now just called Crew. And Bill Bright, uh, God had, had spoken to him, and he basically uh, said that revival is coming to America. Uh, and this is when the U.S. was in the pits. That's why we need another revival now. It's even worse now, um, uh, speaking as an American. And so... Um, uh, so he, but he said, uh, but the word that God gave him was that this, this move of God must be preceded by incredible times of prayer and fasting. And so, uh, um, so basically, he, um, he started uh, exploring and trying to find people who actually did a 40-day fast. He searched all over America. He couldn't find one single person. And then he heard, right, that there are these crazy Christians in Korea. And so he made a trip to Korea, and he, he met thousands of them, thousands. It's like every church, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a handful of these guys have done these 40-day fasts. And so he started interviewing them, and he ended up writing this book. And, and I read this book, and I was really moved. And, and, and part of it was because he was such a... Um, such a normal, you know, he wasn't a charismatic, he was an evangelical, um, uh, just, I mean, just really father of the church. And it really stirred my heart. And uh, after that, I decided that, 
you know, I'm going to start fasting. And, uh, and, then, and then I happened to have a good friend of mine who, who, uh, who, who's like, this guy fasts all the time. It kind of drives me crazy sometimes, right? We'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing stuff, and he, he'll give me a call, and he said, all right, got to fast today. We're like, what? Okay, all right, let's do it. So we used, to have this, we used to have this saying, you know, eat now because tomorrow you may fast. And so, um, so you know, eat up, right, while you can, basically, uh, when you got to, and his name is Lou Engel. Some of you guys may be familiar with Lou. Uh, and so this is what we've been doing. I, I, I make it a point because uh, I, I want to teach the church. I, I want to lead the church faithfully in this way. And so and these are one of the disciplines I think we need to understand. And so, you know, we ask the question, and some of you guys may be new to SP or maybe you've been around and you kind of forget, you know, why do we do this every year? I mean, can't we just once in a while? Is that okay? You know, and, and why is it so important to teach on it every single year? You know, there's not many things I do every year except for this one. Because I think it's so important. Uh, you know, are they, I mean, the essence of church life and church growth is prayer. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, as expected, not one amen, right? But this, this, is, this is a reality, the engine that runs our church is prayer. And our inability to pray together, right, it cripples us as a body. And, and, and you got to understand, you know, uh, this is so important. But really, more than anything else, it's about spiritual formation. My job as a pastor, as a leader, as an elder in this house is to teach and equip. Uh, God first calls, right? He appoints apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the body. And so, and, and so that's our job. Our job is to teach and equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so, so, so my job is to give you tools so you can do the things that, that God has called you to do, the things that set you apart from the world. And, and, so, and, and so that's kind of the whole idea. And so we, we have this, 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 this idea of, of formation and spiritual formation because we're, we're, we're making disciples. Uh, this, this, I mean, this is really important. Um, some of us, we, we, we hear like Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And most of us think that the Great Commission is going. It's not. It's, it's not. That's, that's such a small part. Because if you, if you look at Matthew 28, that passage, the verb is actually not go. The verb is make disciples. And so the idea that the, the, the primary role of the church is to make disciples. Cross-culturally is, is the mandate that's a part of that too. But the word go is, is what we call a present tense uh, imperative. In, in, and so basically what that means, it's better translated as, as you are going, make disciples. Right? The, the verb is make disciples. Form people spiritually. And so it's not about going from one place to another, even though that's a part of it. But as you are going to work, make disciples. As you are going to dinner, Make disciples. As you're taking the Uber ride, make disciples. It changes the whole way you look at the Great Commission. It's not necessarily going from here to Vietnam or going here to China or other places. It's every single day. As you are going, 
Wherever you are going, make disciples. That's the verb. That's the making disciples is what we call spiritual formation. That's basically moving from a pre-believer, someone that has no idea who God and Jesus Christ is, to what we call a fully mature believer in Christ. And so there's a lot of steps that bring people all the way to this place. There's a lot of activities, a lot of things, a lot of classes, a lot of ministries, a lot of serving, a lot of trips, a lot of things that happen to bring us to a fully devoted follower of Christ. That's what we're trying to do as a church. That's what every church is actually trying to do. Some people just have it kind of processed a little bit better than others, but that's basically what it's about. It's about spiritual formation. It's about the process of making disciples. That's what we're here for. Every time you go to house church, guess what we're trying to do? We're trying to make disciples. We're not just showing up to have dinner. Right? Even though that, that, that happens, we're not showing up to see our friends, even though that happens. We're not just showing up to, to, to read a scripture, even though that happens. We're showing up. The goal is to make disciples. So turn to your neighbor, say, hey, good looking. Say, it's about making disciples. Go ahead. It's really important that you understand this. So it's this process. Now, think about it. And, and let's make a little shift in, in a bit in our minds. We are saved by grace. Oh, praise God. There's nothing that you can do for your salvation. It's a free gift that God gives to, to every person that would trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are saved by grace. But it takes discipline and an overcoming mindset to make disciples. It's a different thing. I'm not talking about salvation. That's full of grace. But I'm talking about making disciples is a different matter altogether. Okay, so let me illustrate. I'll I'll give you a point. In the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, you know the very famous story of the walls of Jericho? Jericho was a fortified Canaanite city. Powerful, powerful city. Jericho still exists today, by the way. It's, it's on the way to the Judean desert. And so uh, this big fortified city, Canaanites, God says, this is your land. And so God told Joshua to go, and they were at the walls of, the, of Jericho, which is, you know, to the Israelites was this huge, not to Israel, to everybody, it was this huge, massive fortified city. And so he says, you need, to, you need to go to this place, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your, your armed soldiers, uh, you know, all of them, and you're going to march around, and they're going to be followed by the priests who are going to blow the trumpet, blow, blow the shofar, and, and, and you're going to do this for six days. You're going to march around this city, and you're going to blow the trumpet. And then on the seventh day, what I want you to do, oh, by the way, also carry the Ark of the Covenant. And then so on the seventh day, what I want you to do is I want you to, to walk around this city seven times. And at seven times, I want you to do this thing. And then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a mark, and then we're going to shout. We're going to do a war cry, and we're going to shout. And then we're going to see what's, what's going to happen. Now, you have to understand, militarily, that could be the dumbest thing that you can do. I mean, think about this. You have an army. I, I did a little bit of research. 
Um, I can't say definitely that this is it because there actually is no, um, uh, uh, there's no historical reference to how big the city of Jericho was. Um, but some Bible scholars have surmised and, you know, they did some calculations and, you know, ran their algorithms or whatever they do. And they came up with this. They estimate the traveling distance of the city of Jericho was 4.5 kilometers or roughly 2.8 miles, almost three miles. So on the seventh day, they, they walked or they marched around 31.5 kilometers or 19.6 miles. A few more laps around the city, they would have done a marathon. And, and just think about it. And then the Israelites are thinking, and then we're going to fight? You know, they're probably looking at Joshua, you crazy, man. You're going to tire us out. You know, I mean, I can understand, you know, once, once a day, you know, okay, we're training, getting ready to fight. Okay, I get that, right? But you are the seventh day, you want us to, to march around seven times? This is, you know, and you want us to shout? You know how tired we're going to be? You actually want us to expend energy and shout? And Joshua says, yes. See, do, do, do you see what happens, right? God is willing to do his part. If you look at at uh, historical evidence of Jericho, you'll know that the Jericho, the city was destroyed by an earthquake. Secular, right, observation. There's proof of that. It was an earthquake. We know that the earthquake was God, you know. And so there's this evidence that's there. But, I mean, can you, can you imagine that this whole situation? God is going to do his part. He expects man to do their part. Um, I'll say it this way. I, 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 I can't take credit for this. I found this. Uh, I thought it was so good. I don't know who, who said it, but I found this. God adds super to my natural. Right? Isn't that good? You turn your neighbor and say, man, that's good, right? <laughs> God, that's what he does. God adds super to my natural. God is going to be God. He's going to do his super thing that he does. But we also need to do our natural thing. That's the discipleship. That's the discipline. That's the obedience. Th- those, are, those are the things that, that, that takes place here. So many times people are just waiting for God to act while he's actually waiting on us to obey and to do what he's called us to do. God will add his super to my natural it's so important that we recognize this. And, and, I, mean, and, and there's, I mean, there's so many passages in Scripture which, which are, are really the same thing, right? God wants to do something super, but he expects and he's waiting for the obedience. You know, the Israelites had to just trust God and said, okay, man, this doesn't make any sense, but we're going to march around. We're going to get our armies so fatigued I mean, this is the, the most ridiculous thing that we could ever do, but we're going to obey. They're going to just work in the natural, and God adds the super. That's, that's generally how it works. So, going back about this fasting, that's basically what we're doing. We're going to do our part. And I know we got a lot of prayers and a lot of different things that we're, we're seeking God for, and we have to rely on God to do the super. But we also need to do the natural. Don't ever lose sight of that. So I just have two points today. So simple, so easy. 
Number one, fasting. As, as a part of formation, number one, fasting teaches us to sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Sacrifice, brothers and sisters, is so important. Sacrifice, and, and you've heard me say this so many times before in this way. The church has always been built on the back of sacrifice. Here's my friend Lou Angle. This is what he says. He says, fasting is to give up the legitimate pleasures of this world for the extreme pleasures of knowing God. Yeah, you have, a, you have a legitimate right to all these things that you're laying down, but it's laying down the legitimate pleasures of this world for, for what he calls the extreme pleasures of knowing God. It's our natural to his super. The church has always been built on the back of sacrifice. Uh, years and years ago, uh, the Lord spoke to us, and we were meeting um, o- over there on, uh, in Shunwan. And we had this tiny, tiny little sanctuary. Uh, as, uh, one of the floors is part of the Hong Kong Korean Church uh, during this time. We, we, were, we were autonomous from them um, uh, uh, at that period, uh, but, but we were uh, using a facility. We were renting. Uh, uh, the sanctuary fit, uh, I think, like 110 people, like max. And so, you know, we had multiple services during that time. And we felt like God was, was giving us a green light uh, to move. And then during that time, God spoke to us about starting a vision fund uh, of raising money to hopefully one day buy a building. And we, we haven't uh, got done there yet, but the beginning of the vision fund actually brought us here to, to this place, uh, uh, first of all. And, and, and during this time, you know, we're raising money. And the idea was to raise uh, $100 million in three years. And so uh, I taught on it every year uh, during that time, and we took pledges at the beginning of the year. It was, it was actually a really beautiful thing. Uh, uh, people, uh, I mean, just gave so sacrificially. Um, we, we, had, we had people that, um, uh, that uh, we had a faith pledge. Uh, and so the, uh, the faith pledge idea was that I don't have this money now. I don't have these funds now, but I believe this is the number that God has given to me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, in faith, put this pledge uh, down. And if God provides, uh, like there's more things that happen, then I'm going to give this. And, and we, had, we had a young man, a single young man. And for whatever reason, that summer, uh, he went home and, uh, and he felt convicted to buy an engagement ring. Now, he had nobody in mind. I mean, so this is like really faith, right? It's not like he's thinking of something or someone. And he had no idea. And he just thought, you know what? I, I, just, I, I, just, I just believe that, that God wants me to do this. And so, so he does it, right? And then, we, and then we start talking about the vision fund and all these things. And then he comes. And then he, he basically, uh, because, you know, one service, I mean, we had like watches. We had gold. We had all kinds of stuff. Actually, do we still have that stuff, Tracy? Is it still in our safe? It might be, actually. I don't know. We, we kinda, I'm sure it's, it's in a safe place. All right? That's what I'm saying. And so, um, and, and what happened was, oh, no, no, I, I know what happened. A lot of times when, when, when people actually gave and God started blessing them, obviously we gave the stuff back uh, to them. But he, he gave his engagement ring. And I, 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 I saw this, and I, I walked, and I said, Big, you can't do this. You can't, you can't give your engagement. This is crazy, right? You know, and stuff. And he said, no, Sam, God spoke to me. You know, I need to obey. And I'm not going to stand in the way of anyone's obedience to God, right? And neither should, no one should stand in the way of anyone's obedience to God. And so I said, okay. 
you know, fine. And, and sure enough, you know, that year God blessed him and he, he, he got more money than, than, you know, other times. And so he gave and we gave it back and he got married, right? And, and uh, they have a lot of kids, right? They're still, they're still here at our church. And so I would tell you who it is, but I didn't even tell them I was going to tell this story. So, right, <laughs> I, I got to keep it under wraps for a bit. Um, and so, but, but I mean, it's, it's, we had like really cool stuff like that happened all throughout the time. And so uh, many people were being challenged. People gave testimonies. And, and I, I still remember uh, uh, one, of the, one of the keys that I think really kind of propelled our people was obviously uh, Pastor Chris. And Pastor Chris uh, uh, came up, and I don't, know, I don't know if it was an All Sons meeting or something like that. And he just shared something. It's so simple. I put it up on the screen. I remember it so well. And he just said simply, uh, he says, we have all benefited from someone else's sacrifice. And he turned to the church and says, now it's our turn. You know, and it was so simple. You know, he basically said, you know, we all grew up in churches. Many of us, since we were little kids. And we grew up in churches that were built by other people. We grew up in churches that someone else paid for that seat. Someone else paid for this building. Someone else, you know, like paid for these lights and, you know, and all these different things. And, and, and basically the idea is as, as kind of young, remember, and we we're a lot younger back then. This is 2008, if you remember, you know, 2009. And so, and the idea was, you know, so many of us, we've been beneficiaries of other people's sacrifices. Many of us that are standing here today, we are beneficiaries from the prayers of our parents, our parents prayed so much for us. And, 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 and I say this, you know, one of the things that really turned my heart uh, towards my dad, you know, I, I, was, I, didn't, I, I didn't really hate him, but I, I was just kind of apathetic towards him. And one of the things that really began to shift my heart toward my dad is when I first became a Christian, I went to this overnight prayer retreat. And when I came back, I saw my mom. She goes, how was the retreat? I said, oh, this retreat was so good, so good. And she goes, yes, I knew it would be good. And he said, you know, uh, your dad and I, we were praying for you every single day. And I said, dad prays? (laughs) It was was a shocking statement to me. What? He prays? What? He likes me? (laughs) What? He was thinking about me? And something in my heart just began to shift. And maybe it was a Malachi, you know, the spirit of Elijah. You'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, children to the fathers. And so maybe a, a spirit of Elijah thing happened in my heart, but something shifted, you know, right then and there. And, 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 and we've benefited. He says we've all benefited from someone else's sacrifice, every single one of us. And he turned to the church and says, it's our turn now. It's our turn. And thankfully... Many, many in the church responded. Many, many church in the church responded to this. Right? And, and sacrifice is a huge part of our discipleship. I would say, you know, I mean, this sounds like a bold statement, but if you don't learn to sacrifice, you won't grow as a Christian. I, I can say that very simply. If you don't, under, if you, if you, if you don't master It'll be hard for you to become a true disciple or a mature, I'll use the word mature disciple of Christ. We're all true disciples. I think it'd be very, very difficult. You know, fasting at the beginning of the year, yeah, people say, Peace Sam, this is the worst time to fast. This is the worst time to fast. It's cold, even though yesterday was beautiful, right? We can't use that excuse anymore. 
uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like we're coming back from our holidays and all these things. But there's something about sacrificing and giving him our first. Isn't there? Isn't there something biblical about that? That God, it's, it's something to give him the first. And, and this is why we do it. There's something about waking up early in the morning and giving him our first part of our day. Coming out to pray, it's part of a spiritual formation process that teaches us to sacrifice. You've heard me use this quote before, but uh, during the pandemic, um, I, got, I was on a call, um, and Os Guinness, a great, great Christian thinker, um, uh, he uh, basically uh, made himself available to a group of pastors uh, to, to, to teach and to share his thoughts. You know, he's an incredible Christian thinker. And so we're, we're on one of these calls, uh, and we would do this monthly during the pandemic. And, and, he, and he would just share his insights, what, he, what he's sensing from the Lord. Uh, uh, it's kind of like, I mean, very much on a very intellectual level, but, uh, you know, at least in a way that we can understand. And, and he was talking about the danger of the church during the pandemic. And particularly uh, the whole thing with online services. It, it's, a, it's a blessing in, in many ways. Um, but also could be very, very dangerous. And, and, and we've seen the danger of this as well. And, and this is awesome. simply said this. He said, online services during COVID introduced a casualness to our faith. All of a sudden, the, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ became a very casual affair. You didn't really have to do anything. You didn't even have to brush your teeth. Right? You just showed up. Do you remember during one of these? And I, I, was, I remember I was you know, sitting right here. There's a camera in front of me. Everyone was, was not there. And, and I, I, was just, I was just actually I was just messing around. And, and I just looked at the camera. And some of you guys remember this. I said, hey, you, get out of bed. Right? Go put some pajamas on. Right? Quit staying in your underwear. Go brush your teeth and stay off Amazon. Right? And, so, and then, I kid you not, some people texted me afterwards. They were like, oh, oh my goodness, P. Sam. How did you know? I was in my bed, in my underwear, right? I hadn't brushed my teeth, and I was, I was on Amazon shopping, right? They were so convicted, and they thought, you are a prophet. It's like, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's pretty sad, right? That that's literally what was happening. We, the, the, the enemy introduced a casualness to our faith during that time. And sadly, if you look at the statistics globally, many people have still not come back to church. They're content to sit at home in their underwear, right, you know, watching an online service or going hiking or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, just, it's just crazy. It's like, wow, what happened to dedication? What happened to sac- Now Christianity is all on our terms, Instead of his terms, dangerous, dangerous, the way we open ourselves up to these kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, our faith is not casual. This thing here should remind you that our faith is not casual. Our Lord went to the cross. He paid paid the price for us. How dare we make this a casual thing? 
Christianity is meant to be lived full on, wholehearted in this way. It's not a part-time faith. Christianity encompasses every part and every area of our lives. The reason that we get frustrated is because we do Christianity half-speed, half-hearted, and excuse my language, half-assed. That's the problem. We're going through the book of Leviticus, you remember, during EMP. And, and I got this incredible revelation. You guys know I get one every year. This is my one this year. And, and in, in the book of Leviticus, they're going through all these things, and he's talking about you know, pots and pans, and he's talking about washing you know, dishes, and, and then he's talking about like, service and blood and, and all these things. And it just seems like so eclectic, you know, like, like God is all over the place. And then when I was reading, I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. That's why. See, God is not just interested in the way we conduct church services. In other words, he's not just, he wants to be in tune with us in the way we do spiritual things. God wants to be part of the way that we wash pots and pans, right? In the way that we do dishes. In, the, in, other, in other words, what the book of Leviticus is teaching us is that God wants to be part of every area of our life. The frustrations that we face as Christians is because we don't do that. We go half measure, half-hearted in this way. And that's what causes frustration. And you're sitting there, you're always blaming God. Say, God, why don't you bless me? And, 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 and we, we go through these things because we haven't really gone full on in this way. Christianity was never meant to be lived like that. I'm, I'm not at all. And so, I mean... It's part of it. So fasting teaches us to sacrifice. It's one of the ways that we do formation in this way. So, Pisam, why do you make it a big point to wake up earlier and come out and pray together in the morning? Right? I mean, you know, you know or, or I know some of you guys are not able to do that. Or come during lunchtime prayer. Why is it so important to do this? You know, I mean, why come out and pray together at all? Can't I just fast on my own? Can't I just pray on my own? Number two, number two, early morning prayer during the fast takes us out of our focus on individualism. Takes us out of our focus on individualism. See, in the West, individualism is considered, is perceived as one of the highest pursuits. We see this now, this language in the culture around us. We hear people say, my truth. This is my truth. Well, how is that possible? Truth is truth, right? It's, 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 it's objective in a certain way. And how is it my truth? And so you have uh, this, this ridiculousness uh, in, in Western culture uh, you know, this whole drama of, of what is a woman. You know, uh, I'm a woman because I say I'm a woman. I'm like, what? That's my truth. What? You know, like all of a sudden, uh, uh, biology and science and all these things are thrown out the door altogether. And, and I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just, I mean, have you thought this world is going crazy, right? Because 
Because that's what happens when you have a whole ideology focused on individualism. It's the only thing that's important is the way I think about it. And so you better, you better you know, say this, the right pronoun. And if you don't, then you're causing violence to me. I'm like, what? What is happening in this crazy world? It's, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, when, you, when you really think about it, and, and, but, but this is, this is, and these, these are not just like seemingly dumb people, you know? These are like university presidents. These are like college professors from Ivy League schools. I mean, it's, 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 it's a really, really crazy, crazy to, to, weigh, to, to look at the world in this thing. You know, uh, being whatever, is, whatever you feel like. I mean, that's, in, that's insane. And, and I, I remember, and, and I, don't, I don't really watch this, this program so well, but it, but it came out on, on a YouTube thing. And uh, there's this guy, this British guy, Piers something, Piers Morgan, yeah. And so he was interviewing this woman, and, and she was basically saying, yeah, gender is whatever you make. You can be whatever you want. And so he just said, okay, then. Then today I'm a black lesbian. And the woman was incensed. You can't be like that. Well, if you tell I can be whatever I want, then why can't I just be that? And, and so, I mean, clearly there's some limits to this, but now you can see it's a slippery slope. You open the door to this, you can be whatever you want. You know, today, you know what? I'm a walrus. So from now on, call me Sam the walrus, right? Until I, I choose to be some, something else. It's totally ridiculous. And sadly, these are, this is what our kids are inundated with right, all the time. And so we need to be very, very careful of this. But see, in a hyper-individualistic society uh, like ours, if you think about this, many practices that approach biblical standards of community and these type of things are seen as extreme, unnatural, or even cult-like. And it, it, it's so sad. You know, in the early church, Fasting and prayer and gathering together to pray and, and all these things. This was normative Christian behavior. This is normal kind of things. And so sad now that we place those, those things on and we put labels on them like extreme or hardcore, which are just simple biblical practices. I always get really surprised. And this is, I'm, I'm just honest. I get really surprised sometimes when I hear other people talking about SP, and some of them use the term hardcore, I said, what? How is that possible? Like, how? We ask people to come to church. Whoa, that's extreme. We ask people to, to give. Whoa, you know. We ask people to be part of a small group community. We ask people to come out to our, our retreats, our annual retreat together as a family. And, you know, obviously, live a holy life. Those things are pretty sad. How is that hardcore? I just don't understand that. But that's what happens. We've reduced these things and put labels on them. Brother says, we're not. We are not hardcore. Right? I mean, you know what a hardcore church is? Wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and visit a church in South Korea, and you won't find parking in the church. You'll, you won't find a seat in the church during morning prayer. Uh, you know what I mean? Come on, that's hardcore, man. We should be embarrassed if people call us hardcore. Next time you hear that, please say, don't, please don't say that about us. 
right? Because it's just factually incorrect in that way. Because in what happens is the standards have become so low that anything approaching biblical standards are now considered extreme or hardcore. Young single people, they say, I'm going to wait before, right? I'm going to wait until we get married to have sex. (gasps) Wow. You must be like Jesus. That's the reaction that you get in the world. That's common biblical standards. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is just normative Christian behavior. But now it's considered hardcore. That's sad. That tells you the state of the church in this way. And so we need to do something. We need to do something. We we need to get out of this mentality. Uh, You know, fasting, coming out. Uh, I, I appreciate that you guys are online. I, I think that's great, you know, I mean, because, because you need to be, right? In, in many ways, you know, you've got to take your kids to school. Uh, uh, you know, some of you guys have to go to work early. I, I get it. Of course, that's part of it. And, and so you, you listen online. But for others of us, it's just a matter of convenience. I don't know, man. That kind of attitude is not going to change the world. That kind of attitude is not going to make disciples. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry, right? But that, that's, 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 that's not one of, that's, that's, I don't know. I can go off. I'm just going to stop there, okay? You know, coming out for EMP together as a church says, I'm not alone in this thing. It says, I'm part of a community. I'm part of a church family. And my church family is coming out during this season of fasting and seeking God's face together. There's something about that. There's something about this unity that takes place. I'm part of this body, and this body is meeting together and praying together. And so I'm going to come out because I'm part of this body. It's such a simple thing. See, I think we confuse a few things. You've heard me say this many times. The Christian faith, the Christian faith is personal. It's individualistic. You need to make a decision for Christ. No one else can make that decision for you. This is a personal decision that you make. That's the Christian faith. The Christian life, on the other hand, is communal. The Christian life is not just me and God. Christian life is me and God and everybody else. Martin Luther said this. He says, you cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. It goes hand in hand. And so you got to understand the difference. Many of us confuse, and we just think, I'm going to live this Christian life by myself on my own. No, it's never meant to be lived like that. It's all the one another's written all through uh, uh, the scriptures. And so the Christian life is communal. The Christian life is everybody else. Brothers and sisters, you need to recognize There is a spiritual battle going on inside of every one of us. Uh, Every one of us, our flesh is battling our spirit. Our flesh wants to be selfish. Our flesh wants to be individualistic. Our our flesh wants us to, to be all about us and all about me and all these things. That's our human nature. Our spiritual nature is something totally different. 
Let me read you the passage. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this in 16 and 17. He says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Remember in, 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 in the, uh, 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 the New Testament, when, when Jesus is, is telling the disciples that he's, you know, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die and all these things. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. And remember what Jesus says? He's, he says it to his best friend, to his number one disciple. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Can you, can you imagine that? He doesn't even call his name. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind on man's interests and not God's. What is the essence of demonic activity? It's setting your mind on self. We think it's all these other things, the essence, the foundation, the the seed of demonic activity is setting your heart on self, setting your, your mind on your own interests instead of God's interests. That's why the Philippians 2 passage is so powerful, right? You know, basically, it says that, that, that Jesus, right, he, it wasn't about himself. He, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't about what, what he wanted to do, but he set his mind on God's interests. And so Paul says, have that mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, See, we have a nature that wants to be individualist, a nature that wants to be selfish, self-centered. That's what it is. I'll tell you a story. There was a, there was a, a really famous parable about the scorpion and the fox. Some of you guys may have heard this. Uh, and uh, uh, this, this uh, scorpion was on, kind of walking down the, the banks of a river, and he needed to get to the other side. And he didn't know how to get to the other side. And so then a fox rolls up, and the scorpion tells the fox, hey, can, you, can I ride on your back? And can you carry me to the other side of the river? And so uh, the fox goes, no, no, no way, man. I know who you are. You're a scorpion. I know that when we go across, you're going to bite me, and then we're, we're both going to drown. And the scorpion says, no, 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 trust me. I'm not going to bite you. Right? I mean, how dumb is that? If I bite you, what's going to happen? We're both going to drown and we're both going to die. It suits me no, no purpose right, for me to bite you. And so the fox thought, that's solid reasoning. That's good logic. Okay, get on my back. So he, the scorpion gets on his back. The fox is going across the river. And then about halfway, the fox is on the river and the scorpion bites the fox. And the fox looks back and said, hey, man. What happened? I thought you weren't going to bite me. And the scorpion said, well, I couldn't help it. It's my nature. Right? It's just simply my nature to bite. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us, we have a sinful nature. Our human nature is, propels us to be self-centered, propels us to be selfish, propels us to only think about ourselves, propels us to be individualistic. But there's the Spirit. There's the Spirit of God that wants us to operate in a different matter altogether. And yeah, 
It's on my nature. The scorpion says, I couldn't help it. It's just my nature. And every single one of us has that same nature. I love the way that Paul says it. In Romans chapter 7, 14 to 25. It's a good chunk, but let's read this. And Paul is talking about his struggle. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. For now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the most honest thing that Paul has ever written. Has to be the most honest thing that he's ever written. And he says, I want to do good, but I find myself doing bad. Everything in me wants to do good, but, every, but something propels me to do bad. I mean, he's talking about, he's basically talking about the battle inside of him, of, a, of his sinful nature, right, and his spiritual nature. The flesh and the spirit. And he says, he correctly says, they're waging war with each other. We, we've, we've, we've seen this before. Okay, listen. My son Andrew, he's huge. He's a big boy, right? He's a sensitive, sensitive boy. I, I love this kid. He's the sweetest kid. I mean, he, I, I, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't ask for a better son. You know, he regularly, he, I mean, every day he comes up to me and he greets me. I mean, this, this, I'm not talking about like just when I come home. I'm talking about like four or five, five times a day. He comes to me and he says, Appa, hug. Right? And he won't, he won't stop until he does that. He used to come talk to you know, Lisa all the time. And he used to say this all regularly. He says, he says Mom, Amma, did I tell you how much I love you today? Right? It's a boy. Right? I mean, it's crazy. He's such a, such a sweet soul. So one day, um, uh, we, at our house, we, I, I like to do housework. Um, I like to fix things. I want to teach our kids, you know, don't always rely on the helper. And, and I, I grew up in America, right? And so, uh, so we're always fixing stuff around the house. And, and, I, and I, was, I was doing something, and I needed, I, needed um, uh, I was fixing, I think, the shower. You know, so, something was wrong, so I was doing some plumbing work. And as I was doing this, and I just needed my son to uh, take a, his phone, my phone flashlight, and flash it on the thing while I'm trying to fix the shower head because it's kind of dark, you know, and I, I, my eyes are not that great. And so, and he was there and he was doing this and, and uh, uh, he lasted, I kid you not, he lasted about 45 seconds. And he was like, I'm tired from doing this. And, and, I, and this is now the battle between flesh and spirit. 
This is a true story going on inside of me. Now I'm thinking, listen, I know my son is a sensitive young boy. Right? So that's the spirit. I, I, understand, I understand that. He's nine years old. You know, you know what I mean? But then there's the Sam, that's the athlete, you know, that's competitive and, that, you know, strong, you know, all these things. And so my flesh and my spirit are literally waging war with each other. And, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to say that the spirit won out. <laughs> but it didn't. I was like, what? What? You couldn't last 45 seconds? Are you kidding me? You know, and so, and then I went and I grabbed the other kids, right? And I said, hey, I want you to get over here. And so I I told Hannah, I says, Hannah, I want you to construct an exercise program, right? You're going to do this. This is no joke. You're going to do this every single day. And I want you to train Andrew, right, to do this every single day. And so if you come to our home, go to the kids' home, there's a chart on the closet door Monday through, you know, every day an exercise plan that's laid out there. And stuff, and, you know, obviously, and then my son gets sad and he starts crying. Oh, stupid dad totally broke his heart. So we battle this every time. The spirit knows what I should do. Oh, son, that's okay, right? You know, you know we'll figure out a different way. Hey, tomorrow, why don't we, why don't we do a little bit of exercise? <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, that's the way you should do it, right? You know, why don't we just do a little something, something? But no. What? I can't believe this, you know? And, I mean, I didn't, I didn't say anything worse than that, but God, what a horrible attitude. It's my sensitive son. So flesh and spirit. This plays out, I don't know how many times, every single day, right? Listen, brothers and sisters, during the fast, every morning, it's going to happen. Right? There's a desire for you to wake up a little earlier, come together, and the flesh is going to say, sleep, <laughs> sleep. Right? You need sleep. It's unhealthy for your body not to sleep. Right? And all oh, you got so much. You guys understand what I'm saying. It, it happens all the time. It's a battle that's taking place. That's why Paul also says that I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to make my flesh, right? I'm going to master my flesh instead of letting my flesh master me. And so people used to always ask me, especially when I was a youth pastor, all the youth group kids, who wins, the flesh or the spirit? Who wins? You know, simply, you know who wins? It's whichever one you feed. Whichever one you feed. You feed the flesh, the flesh is going to win. You feed the spirit, the spirit is going to win. Just think of it as two dogs. Right? You got two dogs fighting. The dog that wins is a dog that you feed. It's really simple. Brothers and sisters, the enemy of our souls wants us to focus on ourselves. Wants us to take it easy. Take the easy road. This season of fasting is important because it goes against everything within me, within us, that wants to be self-centered and carnal. Uh, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. This year, let's get out of ourselves, right? Let's put our focus on Christ. Let's not ask what I want. Let's ask what He wants. Amen? Let's close our eyes. I invite the worship team to come.
And how appropriate that as we talk about sacrifice, we come to the Lord's table to partake in his sacrifice. So I'm going to read from the scriptures. If you need um, uh, some uh, the elements, you don't have to receive it, just raise your hand and one of our lovely ushers will make sure you get one. But let me read from the scriptures. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner should be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, who does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number asleep. So the scriptures tell us to come to his table regularly, but also to come to his table reverently. We examine ourselves. And as the worship team leads us in this song, I want to encourage you to go before the Lord. Think about his sacrifice. Paul says, I care to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was the focal point of his life. And so let's pray. Let's examine our lives before the cross of Christ. Jesus, my passion in life is to know you. May all other goals bow down to this journey of loving you more. Jesus, you showered your goodness on me. Given your gifts so one hand and the juice in the others 
remind ourselves of what He's done for us. And that's what this is. It's a remembrance. As we hold the elements, let's just close our eyes and let's pray one more time. And let's just thank Him for what He's done. Let's thank Him for the cross, His beaten body, His blood poured out. And then we'll come together, I'll pray, and then we'll take together as a community. thank you for the cross thank you for your loss you paid the price that we should have paid you are our atonement our substitution God. and so we thank you we come today as a body to remember what you've done for us to remember your sacrifice Lord for us give us the strength to sacrifice for you and for one another. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Let's take together. This is Christ's body broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Amen. When we stand to our feet and let's sing.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Teach us to live sacrificial lives as well. Teach us to get out of our individualism, God, and come into community, God, into family. But it's not about what I want, Lord. It's what you want, God. We believe in the scriptures, particularly when Paul says in Philippians, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Help me to help us, God, to be more like Christ Jesus. Thank you. Strengthen us, God, in this season of fasting as we attempt, God, to do our part, the natural. And we look forward to you adding the super to that. We bless you, God. We love you, Lord. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to him. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom from this day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your time. Uh, 7 a.m. tomorrow, we are here going through the book of John. If you need any uh, prayer at all, come and our well ministers are glad to pray for you. God bless you guys.